Hey, I'm Alex, and this is Lunchbox Radio. So before we get started, I just want to thank everybody who um, listened to my last Sunday edition, which was all about anime's influence in um, specifically like sports dramas. I'm specific, uh, specifically in that show. I'm talking about um, Swagger, but that new Apple TV Plus show, Swagger, which is really good, but also very much like a sports anime, which is wild to me. Um, but thank you so much for listening, and if you haven't checked out the episodes I did on High Guardian Spice, which was last Thursday, I definitely encourage you to go check it out because that's a weird thing, and I tried to be, I tried to talk about it fairly from an angle of not, I hate anyone who's not, who's, who is a woman who might have a negative opinion of men because of, I don't know life experience but um definitely go check that out um i think i think that the reason why i suffered through that thing was because i thought it would i thought that it is that it would be fair to talk about it without the pre-existing quite frankly very alt-righty um, feel that lots of, especially male reviewers, have had towards it since its announcement. But um, definitely go check that out. But without further ado, I want to get into what we're talking about this week. And that is the first season of Jobless Reincarnation. <laughs>
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I generally have a policy of not talking about ongoing theories in this, of not talking about ongoing theories outside of, say, you know, shown in action fair on this show. I've done things on Boruto and on My Hero. Um, but when I do talk about something that I think is so interesting that I really want to feature it in some way on this podcast and it, I don't think it's going to end really soon. I usually take the policy of either checking in on it or covering the or covering a season and not as its own contained thing because I don't want this to be a I want this podcast to feel relevant and to feel um and to feel quote unquote with it and contemporary, but also I want enough of a show to be out before I say, hey, go listen to this. If I'm talking about something and like three episodes are out, that doesn't really do much for you, the listener, or me, the speaker, because that thing could go south any which way. (laughs) And also that thing, there's not a whole lot of that for you to go and watch. Um, But when I do talk about something like that I'll either usually talk about an arc or a season and in the case of Jobless Reincarnation I really want to talk about this show for a number of reasons um one of which is bad <laughs> one of which is real bad um but I would just Jobless Reincarnation is um one of those shows where I've seen scenes from it and and characters from it and that has always seemed impressive in a way where I'm like, I should I should go check out that Jobless Reincarnation thing. Everything I see of it just screams wow. But then I got a um, moment, I got a moment from the, at the time of recording this, I think last episode or maybe two episodes ago for the current incarnation, hilariously, pun intended, of um, the... Anime News Network's um, podcast, The Ancast. And one of the two hosts said, I just can't watch this show because of the way, like, humans treat other humans in that thing. Like, pe- like characters treat other characters in that thing. And I'm, I was like, and I had flashbacks to redo of, to the redo of Healer thing. And, like, give you an idea. Redo of Healer... And, um, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, interspecies reviewers are like flashpoints in anime discourse recently. Um, interspecies reviewers clearly because it is, it was an etchy manga where like they decided to go ham in the anime and just like, give you a straight up hentai 
just give you a straight up hentai at certain points. And it was like, it was shocking because it was airing on Funimation and Funimation very clearly did not know what they signed up, signed up for. And it's like, it got dropped from basically everywhere except for an Australian service called Anime Lab. But, um, which kudos to Anime Lab was like, yo, we signed a contract with, the, with this studio. We're not going to be the people to fuck this up. Um, we understand that it's not the thing we thought we were getting, but also art is art. Fuck you. <laughs> which I really respected. Um, but I'm not saying like all smut should be considered like art or on the same art level as like any number of under other things but I appreciated a <laughs> one of these streaming services being like hey um I'm not sure we all want to sit down and do this because this is this is real sketchy business wise <laughs> um to just like be like hey we don't like your we don't like what you made it's too gross we're we're pulling it. And if you um, have been paying attention to... If you have been paying attention to... Um, what's it called? To tech news lately, you'll know that um, OnlyFans, a, a, a one of now many apps, but one of the original apps to um, for creators, quote-unquote, or influencers even, quote-unquote... To get paid for content, to get paid to produce paid content for a subscription fee, recently almost got dropped by it. Got actually did get dropped by its, um, by its uh, by financial processing company because they were like, oh, we just found out that all of this is porn, and the entire. I was very proud, particularly of the Verge, but of the entire kind of like tech reporting theme where they're like, yo, if you didn't know that this was all going to be porn when you signed up to deal with their financial shit, then you don't deserve to be in business, people. And they ended up sorting it out and it's fine, but it was just a real reminder to everybody that like, whoa, porn on the internet is a totally different thing. Than just about any other kind of content. That even like, than even like, etchy content or like, you know, slightly horny or very horny content. Porn is a different thing, especially when it comes to finances and like money being spent there, or being like provided for whatever it is. Um, but anime has always had like a little bit of an odd relationship with that because the as many of us know people who have been watching anime a long time like I have know that it just kind of comes with the territory it kind of baked into the medium in some ways not in every way certainly not every single piece of anime is touched by filth at least in the main in whatever main um franchise it is like if you look at something like Pokemon Pokemon is pretty tame like this Brock but Brock is more played for laughs than 
like really being a gross asshole, but he's probably the worst it gets, at least in like Pokemon proper. And you go on past the seasons where Brock is, and Brock's like hitting on anything with uh with two X chromosomes just falls away entirely. And then there's um and then there's what's it called? There's um Redo of Healer, which would just like full on literal torture porn at points. And so the like Redo of Healer is really what was like to me when I heard that comment from um the Ancast reviewer. Like what what's in this thing that like that makes you want to stay away from it in the way that people legitimately want to stay away from Redo of Healer. And I... So I was like, okay, let me check this puppy out. And that's when I, like, basically was like, okay, I'm just gonna... This is just one of the things I'm watching now because it's... It's that... It's that well done and it's that interesting. It's got one big, um... Jobless Reincarnation has one big, like, has one big flag that comes up in, I don't know if it's even all of the episodes, but many of the episodes. And the, so just to give you a premise, Jobless Reincarnation is one of the original, not the original, but one of the kind of, like, creators of the form that is... Your standard isekai. Um, your standard isekai anime. But it was a light novel. It's a series of light novels. And it's been around for a long time now. I don't know exactly how long. But it got an anime It got an anime um, adaptation, I believe, starting like maybe two years ago. I think it may be in 2019 that that feels like that track. But the thing with the thing with the adaptation was is lots of people found it boring. But the reason why they found it boring was because it it was the first thing it was the first Isekai story of its kind to do a lot of the things that Isekai stories do all the time now and have like done to death. But what I find interesting about it, what I find most interesting about it, is its focus on visual world building. So one of the things that um, this show does that gives you this feeling of a lived-in experiential world is it forgoes its opening credit sequence for a kind of almost music video-esque like scene setting meandering around whatever environment the characters are in. So um the best the best one I've seen so far is um the the scene and by the way spoiler for this whole show because I I need to talk about it to talk about specifically this but also other things. Um there's a scene 
pretty does, does the scene pretty um the scene actually in the second season that um Rudius, our main character, who I'll get to in a second, but um Rudius had been captured by beast people and he's being kept in their village as a prisoner. And after what I can only describe as is a hilarious description of a jail cell as as if it were like this luxe like cabana that you that you stay in in like a five star luxury resort in like in like off of the coast of New Mexico or something. <laughs> they slip into this they slip into the theme song which is very almost hymnal and quiet and beautiful and they show this treehouse city and they show the people in it and they show the environment and they show the animals like coexisting with the people in this city and it's like this slow meandering drift through this environment and they do that every single episode and it never gets old because they always do it for slightly in slightly different way from a slightly different angle and they focus and what that does is it gives you the same feeling of it gives you a feeling of place it grounds you the viewer in the same way that you would be grounded if you went to say um fez and if you i've been to fez in morocco and fez is a is largely a medina it's actually a world heritage site but what you experience when you're in the medina is the same thing that you kind of see in the opening musical number of aladdin where you see all the twists and turns and maze-like streets and when you're in the middle of the medina you look up and you don't see the sky and it's a very but also you look at your own level and you see butchers feeding feeding animal guts to cats and you see cats running around everywhere and it's a place that's alive and real and concrete both literally and figuratively and you see the workers repairing the medina because once again it's a world heritage site and they get un money and these openings are the closest I've ever seen any show come to that because they give you this absolute sense of place, this absolute sense of you are here as the viewer with the characters. And it it's kind of like when someone in a book describes the smell of a pie, if that makes any sense. And you can almost smell it yourself. So that's by by far one of the most beautiful things this show does constantly. That it, it establishes this like very concrete world that it then does things in, and you understand it. It has a sense of place. There's a um actually another great two, actually two great. Um, 
shows that do this also are Black Lagoon um, from many years ago. But if you haven't seen Black Lagoon, I always say, go watch Black Lagoon. It is like a mastery of visualizing a place and doing the same things I just talked about. But also that um, show that flamed out that killed Didio Monglobe. Um, oh, it's about the death guy. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's not a great show. But they have the same kind of like back alley streets kind of sense of place that um, you get out of Rowanapur. Or even parts of the... Or even places they go to in... Um, this show, but this show follows a, um, I don't even know if they gave his name, um, a, a neat Hikikomori, which if you don't know anything about Neats or Hikikomori, Neats translates to not employed, not, not in employment, education, or training, um, and it's a class of people in Japan who have just straight up dropped out of society. And oftentimes they shut themselves almost entirely or as entirely as they can possibly get to be in their houses or even only in their bedrooms. And these, these people have oftentimes kind of been forcibly ejected from society in some ways because they are in some way different and Japan, despite all the weirdness about it, is inherently a society built around, I'm going to attempt to pronounce this properly, homogeneity and saneness. And there's a, um, you can hear it in Tokyo Drift. There is, in, in those, uh, in Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, there is a saying in Japan that says, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. And that basically means that the, the, if you are in some way majorly different, if you are in some way do not conform to what the culture, to what, like, the general culture asks of you, then life is going to be hard for you in Japan. That is true of like things people can control and true of things people can't control. And what that means is that it's possible for a person to just not fit in so hard that they can't, they can't even really, they're never going to stand a chance. And our main character ultimately dies one time when he's out at night to do something in a, in a rare moment. And up until that point, he had barely ever gone outside for his entire life. He was teased relentlessly in, you know, high school. From high school kind of on. And he has lived 40 years of his life like this. He is like, his, he still lives with his parents. He, you know, nothing has gone well for him in the past 40 years of his life. 
in a way where it doesn't necessarily seem like it wasn't his fault, but it also doesn't. It also seems like at a point, react like the entirety of Japanese society was working against him being in any way fulfilled, and he dies, and he gets reincarnated reincarnated as a child to um this couple named this couple from the gray rat family which is a like which you which is a like mid-tier royal family in the like world he's been reincarnated in and but he gets reincarnated to like a somebody who ranks fairly low in that family and the um, father's name is Paul gray rat once again, we'll get to you in a second. And the mother's name is Zenith is um Zenith Grey Rat. And they have a um a live-in housekeeper who is and she's important. Um and I forget her name, but the housekeeper is there too. But so what they've done is they've taken the mind of a four-year-old and they've stuck it in a baby. <laughs> Which Leads to a lot of the comedy of the early episodes because this is just a little kid with a forty-year-old brain, and it's hilarious. Um, not the least of which because his father is generally regarded, rightfully, as a shit bucket by everyone except for his wife, for the moment, and she and just like eventually he's like, oh. Apparently, my new dad is a piece of shit. One, no one will tell me, but I'm sure that's because I'm, like, four. And eventually, he stumbled... Eventually, he stumbles onto the fact that, like, like I'm an infant. I should not let... I, in order to, like, not be a total weirdo, I should not let on that I can read. I should not let on that I am more than a little bit of a pervert at where wherever I can and the how and the um living housekeeper is really the only person who notices like something something weird with this new fucking with something weird with Rudy this is weird it is uncomfortable to be around this child I do not trust this small child. And she just had this sense to her, like, normal babies don't smile like that, motherfucker. Why, why, why is he staring straight at my tits? And here's where I really want to um, talk about the big red flag in this. The big red flag in this is there's like, and I don't even think they're doing it for fan service. I, if I had to guess, I would probably guess that these were that this was from the original light novels. There's like a absolute horniness to this show that is hard to place because, for the most part, the horniness of the show doesn't really. It doesn't fit in with the rest of the show. It doesn't really play a purpose. It seemed lurid in a way where you didn't 
need it to be this lurid. Um, and the only way I can kind of get that through my head is that it must be part of the original light novels. And it just it strikes me as strange. And so, basically, our main, our main character, Rudius, is growing up with this, like, minor, with this minor, with this minor, fairly well-off, like, upper, think upper middle class of the Middle Ages kind of family. Um, where his father, Paul, is really well, is well-known for being a really talented sword fighter. But you don't know much about his mother until a, until a certain point in the show. I think like episode maybe four, where his mother finds out that Rudius has like not only can read, but has been reading her spell books. And our main character, who, for lack of a better word, um, the forty year old version of Rudius, has figured out the magic system of this world to such an extent that he has figured out how to do the spells without saying the incantation, which I later found out through a, um, like a blog post, is, is a skill called in this world called voiceless incantation. And once Venus, his, his mother, figures this out. She's like, you didn't happen to read these words out loud, did you? And then she's like all excited. And this is the first like flash of of the problem with Paul, I'm going to say. Because Venus immediately is like, we should get this kid a magic tutor and like he can be a great mage. This is very, this is already very odd that he can, like, not only read, but read and do spells. This is a huge deal. And Paul immediately is like, no, 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 no. You said if we had a girl, she'd be a maid. If we had a boy, I got him. He's a warrior. He's a sword fighter. In, like, a way that is, like, a petulant asshole arguing a point, he shouldn't and up until now they've got part of the luridness of the show is that basically every night every goddamn night you hear like rudius hears paul and venus just going down to bang town they are so loud you can hear it through the entire house and in like a way that's inconsiderate. Like we have a child now. We should not. We should not be this loud. They're gonna come in and ask why mommy and daddy are wrestling. Uh, but Rudy's being a forty-year-old is just like, oh no, I know what this is. Another moron. I played visual novels. God damn it. Um, and this is where they introduce Roxy, the um, this character who is a half-demon character from. What you find out later be a town in the demon continent. On the demon continent. And she just... She teaches Rudius and quickly finds out that Rudius is like on a whole nother level even than her. Like she still has to say the words to make the magic happen. 
he doesn't. He's just like, I usually just skip the incantation. She's like, excuse me? What do you mean? What are you talking about? He's like, here. Boom. Shoots a water ball just like flying out of his hand. And she's like, okay. We're going to cover some very complicated stuff very quickly. And at this point where it, where the like very horniness of the show rears its head as a as more than just the joke of oh Paul and uh, more than just a joke or a sentiment even of Paul and Zenith really do love each other in a way that like is young love continued which is what you can read the kind of sex noise scene in the early part of the show as otherwise because Rudius just like gets up to go to the bathroom you know like kids do and he sees Roxy outside of their room watching them and enjoying herself and he's like oh well I guess she is 16 that tracks and that's another and that's another odd thing that's another like odd moment for the show and then you get to I think it's like episode 5 or something where you have the first real interpersonal conflict in the show because up till now this is a pretty enjoyable show with some weird aside around the show being very horny for like a scene and then leaving it alone you find out that Zenith is pregnant. And then you also find out the living housekeeper is pregnant. And Paul, Paul, has been banging both of them. And for a little while now, because you're always getting the internal voice, Rudy's internal, like, 40-year-old man voice, being, like, knowing exactly what's happening... Because he's not a child. He just is in the body of a child. And he has started referring to Paul in this very accusatory tone in his in his head. Like, okay, Paul. You jerk. And at this point, Venus is like, are you fucking kidding me? You cheated on me with not only the living maid, but also someone who I've been friends with. For decades, you piece of shit. And, like, Rudy, not be, not being the child he looks like, kind of gets the sense that he is, like, a... That, it, that it's an odd... That, it, that the housekeeper, who makes his life, as a person, very easy and very... And very luxurious is about to be sent away, <laughs> and like they're not gonna get a new house, new housekeeper because Paul's just gonna bang them again. <laughs> and in addition to like being like, I like her. She lays towels out, and she, you know, like all this stuff. She does all this stuff for me that makes my life great. Also, she's about to have a child. And that doesn't seem super safe in this world if you don't do it, like, in a house. And 
he straight up, straight up, walks up to Zenith and throws, as far as anyone else in this world is considered, his own father just all the way under the bus, making sure it gets all eight wheels of thump, 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 thump. And then the, like, next interaction you really see with Rudius and Paul, it's Paul training, training him and training him in sword fighting, but also not, like, actually teaching him, more just barely not beating the shit out of him. And that's the first, that's the first moment where you're like, oh, I don't think, I think Paul's, a bad person who does good things sometimes. I don't think Paul's a good person. Paul really is a piece of shit. I get why people hate him. And I don't know where in the, like, where in the timeline of events we um, meet Sylph. But one of the things that... One of the things that you really get the sense of from Rudius in these early episodes is that in his old life, when he was a, you know, good-for-nothing Hikikomori, a lot of things fucked up his life. A lot of things made it hard for him to make friends, have a normal life, go the fuck outside, and... He really quickly picked up on the idea that, like, this is my chance. This is my chance to be different, to feel different, to feel successful, to thrive in a way that is not, that is not big in the grand scheme of things, but it's big for him. It's a way for him to step out on his own in a way that he lost the ability to em literally emotionally otherwise. And as a result, he had built up this fear of going, of A, going out of the village, but B, really going beyond his own property. And when he does go beyond his own property, it, he is doing so with this with his magic teacher, Roxy, and Roxy has become really important to him. Roxy had not become like a figure of like um she'd become like a part of the family or and had become like a elder sibling like figure. Not I mean the show is once again hornier than it will ever need to be. So of course he has like just been like he also horny about it because once again 40 year old growth man body inside of this small very well groomed very fit child body and but roxy sees his hesitation she sees his like attachment to the house and she's like it's okay you'll be okay everything will be okay and she brings him out into the world proper and eventually he works up the courage to do that on his own after Roxy's left because 
Roxy's taught him everything she can, and he is now in this world, um, like magic system, a saint class water mage, which is a big deal, which is a really big deal. And one day when he's like wandering around town, and he's just like, he's like reading his magic books, studying, practicing. He's like walking around. And he sees this girl get, get, and he sees this what he perceives as a kid. I'm not gonna say girl just yet, but he sees he sees this kid get getting picked on by other kids, and he just annihilates these at these little assholes. And he like punches one's lights out. He like shoots water at the other ones. He. He goes, he goes completely unfair on these kids because he knows what it's like to be picked on. He knows what that feels like. And in the moment where he sees that happening to another kid, he also knows he has the power to force it to stop. And he, and I used to have this same inclination. I may or may not have told this story on the podcast um, some, at some other point. But I, because I grew up disabled, I spent a fair amount of time of just people being assholes to me. Because I was so different. Not only was I disabled, I, you know, my dad wasn't in the picture and, or my father wasn't in the picture and I was biracial. So there was a lot to pick on me about. Because I, I, and also, the pointy ears make me look like a fey child when I was a kid. Like, I, I look, and still look in many cases, straight up otherworldly <laughs> to some people. And as a result, I really don't like seeing others be treated unfairly or be, you know, tormented or picked on. It's not a thing I love. And where possible, I do something about it. And when I was a, when I was in like elementary school, I was an elementary school who knew a lot, an elementary schooler who knew a lot of bad words, like a lot of bad words, but mostly fuck. Um, that was the key thing in my arsenal at that time. I rolled up at the bus stop and saw one kid picking another kid. I knew both kids. I'm like, the fuck is happening? I physically separated them, did not attack either one, and cursed out the kid who was the bully kid like nobody's business. Like, I emaciated the kid. And a version of what happens in this show happened to me, actually. In the show, the kid who Rudy gave a black eye to... His mother shows up to Paul, and Paul is like, Rudy is what? And he goes to Rudy, and he's like, you? And he, like, just chews him out. And Rudy's like, whoa, Paul, you festering shit bucket. This is not my fault. He was picking on another kid with a whole group of his friends. I defended somebody who was defenseless and punched him in the face because they were throwing rocks at this kid. 
at a kid who is now my friend. And in that moment, Paul is like, I fucked up. I'm a bad dad. I suck. And later on, you learn on you learn later on in the second season, he did not learn his lesson. He did not learn that he is infallible and like should not necessarily always be the lesson teacher of the family. But he but Rudius in that moment finds this sense of justice and sense of duty out of the fact that like he has been the person whose society has regarded as an absolute piece of shit. And that um, character he meets is a kid named Sylph. And him and Sylph become fast friends and they, you know, they have the time of their lives. And then at some point they get caught in the rain. And and the entire time he's teaching Sylph magic and he teaches Sylph um, voiceless incantation. And I'm not referring to Sylph as he or she yet for a reason, I promise. And they get caught in the rain at some point. And Sylph, and they run back to Rudy's house. And the maid is like, I'll, I'll draw a bath for both of you. Just like, go get ready. and I, Or I've drawn a bath for you. Go, go hop in the warm bath. And he... Because Rudius, in his former life, had no, had no, um, interpersonal skills, he, he, A, he doesn't know how, he doesn't know the signs of, like, oh, that's a boy, that's a girl. He also doesn't know the signs of, like, he doesn't know to back off. In the way that a child wouldn't know to back off. And he's saying to himself, like, Self, get undressed. Like, you're gonna get sick. I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you, man. And Self continues to not... Not wanna... Not wanna do it. Just not wanna do it. Because Self is... In, in her head, it's like, I'm a girl. This is weird. No. We're not crossing those lines today. And Rudy just doesn't give up and immediately, like, sneaks up on her and just pants her. And he gets full frontal, like, the parts in his face. And still freaks out, pulls her pants up, and runs off. And <laughs> I, I will give Paul this. He's, Paul is not, Paul is not a great person, but... Paul is not a straight up bad person. Paul is human in every sense of the word and he has done his he's Paul does his best by what he believes is the best thing to do. And in this moment when he like sees Silk run out and sees Silk crying in Venus and he's like, What the hell happened? And Silk tells him and he he first, like, is, like, roiled, like, just deeply angry with his kid. Like, ready to beat the shit out of his kid. And then he pauses and goes, wait, wait, last time I did that, it didn't go well. I, I don't want to be a dumbass here. I'm going to do this right. And he goes to Rudy's and he's like, 
do you know what you did? You need to apologize. You, you need to apologize. This is not okay. It is never okay to do that to, a, to, a, to another person, but to a woman especially. That is a big deal. <laughs> but he doesn't... There's no violence of words or of in the physical form either. He's just like, immediately before he starts talking to Rudy, he's like, I need to do this the right way. I just did something the wrong way in a way that is so dumb that like looking back on it, I'm embarrassed as a human that I didn't say, this kid's mom came to me and said, you punched him. Why the fuck? Instead, I just immediately thought my kid was the asshole. Um, and see, and Rudy's just like, yep, I, I'm getting that now. I'm getting I was a moron. I, I have an inability to read cues that I'm very aware of now. And he goes and apologizes to Sylph. And Sylph is like, it's fine. I get that I did not project that out of there. I was just excited to have a friend. And Rudy is in the same kind of breath. It's like, you know I like you, right? And she's like, yeah, I know. Is it cool if we're just, you know, the way we were? Like, we don't have to think about this too hard right now. We're fucking five. It's fine. And Sylph becomes, like, Rudy's his best friend. And eventually... He wants to, he wants to take both of them to this big deal magic academy. And that's where this journey really starts. Because Paul, because Paul, like an asshole, agrees, like, we can't really pay for that. Like, we're well off, but we're not ultra rich. But I can find you a job. And he finds her a job tutoring this, um, very, like, this very, like, almost animalistically assholic girl named Eris in a, like, another kingdom where he has to stay there for, I think, like, five years or something. <laughs> something insane. And everything about this feels like Paul is also being an asshole because Rudy is threw him under the bus. And like Paul, but like Paul is also very glad to be the father to two daughters. Like he steps up and he is like, okay, now we have a weird ass multiple mother household. And like, I need to be the man because I fucked this up. I'm going to, I can't fix this part of it, but I can make it the best I can. And he becomes like a double family man in a way that's like now he's beholden to the housekeeper character and his actual wife, Venus. And they both like, when he, when Rudy has asked anything of him, because Rudy doesn't ask much of them ever, both of them are just like, oh, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna say no to your kid? You piece of shit, we're gonna... Jam on steel-toed boots in your shins. 
Um, and that's where the story shifts from just being this like quiet village story to being like Rudy is kicking ass and taking names and being a more traditional isekai hero. And from there you have the last kind of like the big inciting incident of the show which is this, what they call in the show a, man, a mana disaster. Which is this big... I'm actually going to get into the second season a little bit, but only to A, shit on Paul more, and B, get behind a kind of like... familial cruelty that can be in the show sometimes that makes me wonder if that's what the... Um, if that's what the reviewer from A&M was talking about. Um, there's this big man disaster. Um, Aerith and... Um, Aerith and uh, Rudius are transported to the demon continent where they meet a, a character from, like, an, who's an actual, like, demon race character who's supposed to be really scary, but he's actually... is really scary, but he's trying to, like, regain the pride for his for his tribe kind of thing but also like has a deep need to protect children in a way that is that is not just borderline but actually psychotic and he is like if you hit a kid I will murder you um but later on in the show when they've like when he's getting it he pretty correctly deduces like what the fuck just happened to us we were in a field I was teaching people I was teaching Aerith and her sword teacher like magic because in part of the job thing is like Rudy's is basically abducted by his new sword teacher and like the person who is also going to employ him, help him be employed, and she's this big beast woman who, once again, curiously, hates Paul's guts, and that's how he gets to meet Eris and like live in that kingdom for a period of episode, and then this man disaster happens, teleports all three of them, but teleports Eris and Rudius it to the same place. And he correctly deduces in kind of the show's opinion for the moment, like, what the fuck? Okay. I was in charge of this girl when I when this happened. I am still in charge of her. My my goal should be to get us home get us back to where we were before a giant column of light teleported us who the fuck knows where who's that guy and what that guy has the red ruby eye thing that says he's bad nude but also we're covered by blankets by a fire he's the only person for miles he can't be that bad we're gathering puzzle pieces. We'll put together the puzzle later. Fast forward a bunch of episodes. 
There's a bunch of different plot points and different moments. All great character building. The entire time, they're showing you these same openings for every episode that like do a great job of establishing the place and the weight of the place. And they introduce a very horny female character. Like a horny female character who they straight up show in a room-filled gangbang. So if they do not explain at all, it's wild. But fast forward to when Rudius and Paul meet again. Uh, pretty much, it's the most recent episode of the second season. And Paul is like, yeah, you figured out how to get yourself home. And how to get your, and how to get your, yourself and your little fling home. And that very offends him because at this point, Eris genuinely does love him. And he cares for Eris. He has read some signs wrong, but Eris also doesn't know what he's doing. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel like when he was the aggressor. And with Sylph, it feels, it feels natural. It feels like nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. And Eris is like, fuck, I have feelings for you, but I don't know how to contextualize them. And it seems bad. And uh, and it, it feels more like clumsy kids bumbling in the dark than him being a straight up pervo. If that makes any sense. When that scene happens. and But Paul at that point. When they meet again. It's like. Putting the weight of the world on this child. Who. Is once again. As far as the show knows. He's like maybe 10. He, he's like. He's like. Maybe 13. And they. He's like, you could have thought, you could have started to look for survivors. You could have started to help people. You have real ability. All these things are true. But the one thing that is also true is that Rudius is A, a child. B, he's doing what he thought was right. He is not like just gallivanting around the demon continent, he was fixing problems as he encountered them. Real adventurer style. And he was also, like, doing the best with the knowledge he had. Because the... The thing that they pretty helpfully leave out... And, it, and this is intentional on part of the show, and I'm sure I'm part of the light novels, is that this happened to Rudius, Eris, and the um, Beast, and the, and the Sword King lady. The, the Beast Man Sword King lady. Uh, she, they didn't... Everybody, this mana disaster essentially gets revealed later to be a bigger deal than... Just Rudy, then three people vanishing from a field. But for much of it, you really only know 
you really only reminded that like, oh, these two people don't know what they are. Possibly three people don't know what they are. Did world building outside of what the character could know that tell you, hey, these characters, like, basically everybody on one continent was picked up and dropped out of the sky in other locations. And he can't know that. It's not like everybody has fucking cell phones. And the fact that his dad, instead of being like, I'm glad you're okay, is immediately like, you could have been the bigger person. You could have been the Mother Teresa figure. You could have known the rules. To something where there are no fucking rules is insane. It is insane. And it is a kind of un... is a kind of misreading of the situation that is probably why everybody fucking hates Paul. <laughs> because when given nothing to do, Paul will... And they bring this up in that in that scene. Like, Rudeus is like, you're definitely fucking that girl. Does your wife or your baby mama know about that this girl? And he's like, of course not. They're not here. And he's like, exactly, you piece of shit old man. And, like, oh, I don't think they meant it like this. I think they meant, like, they meant this to be an inspiring moment. They meant that Paul was trying to inspire his son and his son wasn't getting it. But for you as a viewer, and I think actually probably what they really meant, you see this character in Paul, in Paul Greyrat, who is, has clearly his own compass. And as soon as this happened to him, he, like, took a couple days, I'm sure, to freak the fuck out and drink um, a lot. But then he eventually pulled himself together and was like, I think I have a plan. I think I have the steps I need to take to get to all these things. But he assumes that that's what everyone else would do, that, that, that that's the best plan. When sometimes getting your getting your cousin back to her parents is the best idea you got. Because Paul could have ended up in a city somewhere. You know, Eris and Rudius ended up waking up next to a campfire against a rock. That's not that much better than waking up in a bat than waking up in a basket in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Like lots of leaps need to be taken. And it's pretty clear that it Rudius would have gotten to the we need to find everybody and get everybody back to where the fuck they need to be. Eventually. 
But the fact that, like, Paul never gave him that opportunity to, like, never gave it the thought that, like, he would have gotten to that same place as I did is insane. And also, once again, Paul had the benefit of arriving wherever he arrived by him fucking self. And, like, so... I, I'm going to leave it here because I'm going a little bit over. But um, long and short of it is is that for a show to be so good at world building and so good at characterization uh, as to and character building as to make me have that whole complex reaction to a quite frankly bad parent-child relationship with a couple of extra layers added in the reincarnation mechanic. That's a really good show. It's a really good show that it it presents that argument to you in a way where one side, while right, is clearly not looking at all the factors. And it, it presents... It presents a character who's saying the right things as saying them wrong. And that that opinion he has, while being just, not being the right opinion. For factors that the show gives you. And the thing I really like about this show is it gives you the tools. It doesn't treat you like a moron. It gives you the tools... To understand what the fuck is really going on in this show. And what the fuck is really going on in scenes with a lot of emotion behind them. And it doesn't just... Because it's a version of this show that sets it up where Paul is right. But Paul is very clearly in that moment not right. And he is saying the not right thing while for the right reasons... From up, from his back foot, because at the same point, he could have been faithful to his not even his baby mama, because God knows they don't fuck anymore. Uh, he could have been faithful to his wife, and he is very clearly not being faithful to his wife in a way that, like, when Rudy is like, um, that looks like another side piece, Dad. He does not look his son in the eye. <laughs> and it... And... But also, they show you that, like, Rudius is doing that because Rudius believes he was doing the right thing at the in that moment, but is still aware that what Paul said, like, you could have been looking for Survivor, you are a talented kid, is... He like is but he is also on his back foot and he's trying to get stable. And once he does get stable, he beats the shit out of his old man. And me but also realizes who Paul got teleported with, which is his little sister. And not his little half sister, his little canonical sister. And he realizes like I'm the bad guy now. I'm the problem. I need to leave. And he feels 
like bad about himself in a way that he hadn't before because he became the version of he became the aggressor and the bully in a way that he never has been before and yes there was a reason for that but he but he at no point would ever want to be that kind of person to anyone and on that note um you can go watch Jobless Reincarnation. The first season is dubbed on Funimation. It's actually a pretty good dub. Um, but the second season, I think it's like four. It's like five episodes in now, and it's just subtitled. So just be warned. Like there'll be a there'll be a bait and switch of like you don't get dubs anymore in this show for a little bit. But um, definitely go check it out. It's certainly worth your time. Um, if you like this episode, new episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and Sunday. Thursdays are like this. They are um, about either a property or a movie. Um, Sundays are more metatextual. Like um, last time I talked about um, anime's influence, specifically sports anime's influence on sports dramas, but um, live action stuff in America. And um, I have a lot of fun doing that. Or they're metatextual about like the industry or like different things that come up in the fandom. On that note, I've been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio. And I will talk to you on Sunday.